Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. Fred, I want to buy a car and I want it to be reliable. What do I do? You buy a Mac first. But that's I have to tell you that at least once a week. Just get a Mac. Uh, but that's least. just me. But um <laughs> there that's a complicated question. I remember once standing in a, in a in a big box store that was selling HB printers and it happened to be the model of printer that I was actually working on and somebody saw me standing there that was looking for a printer and they had they noticed I had an HP shirt on. And they said I want to buy one of your printers, but which one is more reliable? And I was, um, what do you mean? Different models or, you know, this or that, the other thing? What are you trying to, I was like, I don't know how to answer that. And then I'm a reliability engineer. And she goes, no, no, no. There's six boxes here for the model I want. Which of these six boxes is going to be the one that will, won't have any problems for the next five years? I, I can't answer that. <laughs> It's like, Wrong. Uh, you know, buy all six and run them for five years and then, you know, and uh, like, well, that's not a good answer. So I didn't tell her that. Um, I said the one that doesn't have the forklift hole through the middle of it, that would probably be better. Um, Wrong. But you want to buy a car? Um, there's different surveys that do customer experience. There's different studies. There's the vendor data, which doesn't tell you how long it's going to last. They just say it'll be perfect for 20 years, buy it. Um, There's warranty, which is a marketing deal that has some correlation. I remember way back when it was a Korean company, I think it was, that said, all right, we're going to do a 10-year bumper-to-bumper warranty or drivetrain warranty on this thing. Their cars didn't last that long, but now their design teams had to to reduce warranty expenses. So they design better cars. They design more durable mm-hmm. cars. And we did that at HP, not me. It was uh, Dick Moss in his time. This is one of the ways to make your products more reliable is increase the warranty so that the development teams actually feel the pain of unreliable mm-hmm. products. And it's further out. It's more uncertain so that you just make it more robust. So how to buy a reliable car? I well, don't know. Don't ask the dealer at the used car lot. That's for sure. Well, I know that in in uh, where I, where I live right now, it's, it's it's common knowledge that if you want to open a car dealership, mm-hmm. don't don't make a Toyota because you're gonna get not going to get the same amount of money from servicing and maintenance as you would lots of other cars so right and i mean that's one measure of of, war- of reliability i think the consumer reports uses something like that they do big surveys of their membership of saying well what car do you have when did you buy it how many times have you had you know breakdowns or service deals and and other than you know routine oil change how many times did it break down and strand you on the side of the road and they kind of tally up that data and and i'm sure it's more complicated than that but that's after the fact. So if you wait 10 years, right. you'll figure out which is the most reliable car in the last 10 years. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things I'm looking at when I'm, I'm not, I'm not actually going to buy a car anytime soon, but I am looking at, um, for example, 
because we're, we're reliability engineers, stuff with the word reliability in, in it mm-hmm. naturally intrigues us, especially when we're scrounging for podcast topics. But, <laughs> um, I'm looking at the JD Power Score for 2022 vehicle reliability, and they have a score out of 100. And the higher the score, the better. Cool. Okay, okay that's cool. What does it mean? And then you read, scratch the surface, and say, well, where does this score come from? Well, it's based on an initial quality study they call IQS and a vehicle dependability study they call a VDS. And that's where they, uh, without going into understanding it in implicit detail, both these studies give you metrics which are called uh, PP100, problems per 100 cars. And that's based on survey responses, people who bought or lease these vehicles, and it's broken over a number of years. Um, and there's a high correlation between both. Uh, so they use essentially a rating system which is based on a dependability study and the quality study which revolves around metrics called problems per 100 cars. Problem with that is that's not reliability. Uh, a problem is a very broad term and and the other thing is if you're purchasing a car which has more functionality then you're naturally going to have more problems with it just for well, if, large numbers if you never use the entertainment system and it doesn't work you don't care it's not a problem right you know or but, if you buy a buy a vehicle which doesn't have an entertainment system then, then there's no entertainment system to break that's right and it that's what makes i think these car surveys and car, you know, looking at problems per hundred cars or whatever their measures are is pretty difficult to, because the individual, if I'm buying a car that I know I want to go skiing, uh, you know, in the winter time and I want to do off-roading in the summertime and I want to, you know, put 200,000 miles on it and all this other stuff, that's a completely set of different requirements and conditions than, I want a small pickup truck to run firewood around the neighborhood, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to do random errands to the hardware store. Um, so the same vehicle could do both. I mean, it right. could drive, but a, a small light pickup truck with back wheel drive going up into the mountains is just not a good idea. <laughs> it's right. I'd have I mean, to weight it all down and put snow tires on it and chains and everything else. And, and it's not comfortable and for a longer drive, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, is that a failure? No, it's the difference between your expectation and what it can do. That makes and it more the, difficult. And how do we factor in vehicles like the VW Beetle, which is obviously not manufactured anymore. So it's automatically excluded from new vehicle. You're reliability. talking about the old sixties one, right? The bug, the original bug. Well, they were still manufactured up until the early 2000s, I believe. Well, no, they brought it back. They had the, the one with the little flower holder in the console. Um, that's, a di- that's a different one. The original air-cooled engine, yeah. you know, the uh, – yeah, that is a reliable machine. Oh, it is. Sometimes when it breaks, all you need to do is hose off the engine and it just comes back to life miraculously. Oh, you didn't even need a clutch in it. The first one I drove way back when was <laughs> – the clutch didn't work at all. So you'd rev the engine up and downshift or you'd, you know, let the engine, you know, slump way off and then upshift. <laughs> right. You could just jam it into different gears and it was happy. Right. And it's, it doesn't, it's a, because it's air cooled, which is not as efficient 
but it's a lot simpler. Yep. You have a lot, lot fewer ways your thing can break. Um, but it doesn't have an entertainment system that can fail, or it doesn't have cruise control that can be a little bit iffy. The way and I was driving didn't have windshield wipers either, so that made it tricky. <laughs> <laughs> but none of these scores, these reliability scores, just by looking at how it's, it's all about, for lack of a better term, manufacturing problems, as near as I can tell. Um, how does that relate to how likely this vehicle is going to be working 10, 15, 20 years from now? Um, well, does there, that matter? I don't know. Yeah, no, I think there's some correlation there. I, I, and I, one of the things that you said is that the initial quality, um, and so you remember the study, and if I v vaguely remember, it was a, a motor or a transmission that was the same set of design, same design specifications, drawings. One was group was made for a set of cars in Detroit, and the other exact same design was made in Japan. And the Japanese ones had almost no problems in the field. Right. Whereas the U.S. one, while they claimed they were all in spec, they were more of them near the edge of the specs. And, right. and they ended up having more warranty claims. And it was one of those things that made the big argument that continuous improvement and, and getting as little, as far away from the edges of your of your tolerances as possible is a good thing. And so I think there is something too, if you make a consistent quality product that's centered on your design and the design has to be good, you will have a better more reliable product. You will reduce yield losses. You'll reduce, you know, scrap problems. You reduce rework problems. You reduce all these good things happen when you make a make something well. Oh, I completely concur with that. And I think um, you, you can. We talk about it. What's the point in designing something that's very reliable if you're just going to throw away all that reliability through low quality manufacturing? Mm -hmm. um, I think the point I was trying to perhaps not very well was that uh, reliability is a function of manufacturing quality and design yep. and, and, and quite a few things. Like for example, the, uh, we just talked about the VW uh, uh, Beetle that has a reliability in its design that goes beyond manufacturing quality. Um, you look you look at electric vehicles these days, and I believe electric vehicles will soon have reliabilities that um, just dwarf the reliabilities you get from internal combustion engines because they are going to be a lot simpler. Well, there's that's not always true. I mean, there's plenty of stories. Not always true. No, I saw something on Consumer Reports a couple months ago, is that Tesla was just their doors don't close. They have, you know, things fall off. Things don't line up. Think it doesn't start. It doesn't charge it. They, they had dismal for whatever system they use to gauge reliability of their systems. They are dismal. They're beautiful cars, I, I, I but they're it. dismal reliability. That's Tesla. Yeah. I didn't say Tesla. I said electric vehicles, which is very different to Tesla because for example, doors aren't a specific feature to electric vehicles. Well, if the you doors were, are unreliable. If, now, if you would have said, no, I, I, at one point I had a, a, um, oh, it's a hybrid, uh, the Toyota Prius and the brakes on that car are very reliable and they stay right. reliable because they just, because they use regenerate, they, the braking action yep. actually charges the battery <laughs> right. and, it, and it 
reduces the load on the brake pads. So the brake pads just last and last and last. And so when but you that's look exactly at, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, but for particular systems of it, it's perfectly good. But the the dashboard in the sun in Arizona is still going to crack and fall apart as as well as a, a combustion engine. And for me, if the dashboard is a mess, that could be considered a failure. Oh, I, com- I completely concur. But let's just so let's just look at the fundamental differences in cars an electric vehicle versus a, an internal combustion vehicle. The dashboards will be technologically similar. Similar. Yep. The doors will be technologically similar. The clocks will um, be very similar too. Yeah. Yep. The steering mechanism will probably be pretty similar. Yeah. Um, not necessarily, but it probably be quite similar. So that said, the the fundamental change in technology means a lot of the problems associated with internal combustion engines, I believe can go away and the energy sorry the technology you're talking about where those brake pads are now lasting a lot longer that's not really a reliability thing from one perspective from another perspective it's absolutely is a reliability thing um but that's where technology a fundamental change in technology can remove all sorts of potential failure mechanisms and while tesla might not be doing the world's best job i i i uh i don't limit what I'm trying to say to to, uh, to just Tesla. Also, you look at navies and militaries. They used to have to have diesel engines, which were either hooked up to a propeller using a very, very complex gearbox and obviously high-stress gearbox mm-hmm. or have a diesel engine um, at uh, under, uh, bolted to the hull at a slight angle pointing down so that the prop shaft could go just directly to a propeller and push through the water. Now you need all you need to have. I say all you need to have. It's a bit more complex than that. <laughs> now they can have diesel engines essentially mounted anywhere in the um, in the vessel and all the ships themselves. The engine drives a generator. The generator then can uh, through large cables, obviously, can, uh, pipes electricity down to pods, which now circle, uh, which now pivot freely beneath the hull mm-hmm. of these vessels, which has all sorts of weird and wonderful, um, really good advantages, not least of which is that you can now have propellers which aren't behind the hull of a ship. Um, you can have them beneath the hull of a ship in these pods that can rotate 360 degrees. Well, that's when you get allows- these cruise ships that go, you know, they turn 90 degrees, they just float sideways into the dock, right. you know, kind of thing. And amazing precision. Yep. There you might, I saw a, a photo uh, on LinkedIn in my feed. It was this guy who was mowing his lawn and looked like an electric mower and he had the cord going behind him. And this young woman was had a wheelbarrow with a generator on it that the electric mower was plugged into. So they were both walking through the yard to, to mow the grass <laughs> with their electric mower. Yep. <laughs> Same thing, right? Yeah. Very mobile electric vehicle. <laughs> you, can't, you can't fix that. <laughs> um, oh, I, I don't know, but uh, that might be a Saturday night, Saturday night live skit. But yeah, well, I know it was. It might have been staged, but it looked whatever. Um, but right. the idea is the vehicles. Uh, and not just vehicles. I mean, there's all kinds of different products that are out there. Um, and I ran into it a couple of months ago is a study out of England. They looked at 18 different uh, 
product lines like camping equipment and and home furniture and I mean mostly retail ish stuff in, in eighteen different categories. And the survey was was what's what affects your purchase decision. And yep. there was reliability and durability, and they defined them slightly differently. Um, and they, for whatever reason, they, they said reliability only applied to things that had electronics in it, which I really like. What? So, huh? Okay. But anyway, but durability was kind of our more generic, what we would call reliability is okay. how long will this last without problems, basically, with, without having to replace it or repair it or whatever. And it was the number one and number two criteria by far of right. all the different, you know, style, feature set, all the other things they were asking about. It was the reliability is a major factor in why people choose one product versus another. Uh, and it's not universal. There's obviously people that don't care about reliability. It's just cost. But the survey, and from what it, it was a technical report paper that was done, and so I'm you know, assuming it was done well uh, without checking into it, it was in a reputable journal, um, was that the question you asked at the start is, hey, I want to buy a car. How do I get a reliable one? Well, it doesn't sound like J.D. Power and Consumer Reports and others give us the full picture of what we would want to know. Mm -hmm. But it's one piece of information is, well, what's been yeah. the experience of other people? You know, what are they what are they seeing and, and doing on it? Um, and it informs us to make a, a car purchase, which in most people's cases is a major purchase. Um, what baffles me is very few people do the same when they buy a house. They, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The maintenance costs on your home is a big deal. And we don't call it reliability, but it is. And it is like oh better whatever so anyway yep. jd power's got their numbers out there consumer reports has their numbers out there i'm sure other organizations and groups have various numbers out there um yeah your mileage may vary <laughs> yeah. i mean i don't think i mean problems per 100 cars and i'll agree with anybody who suggests there's going to be some correlation between manufacturing quality or the number of problems you get and what people think reliability is, but uh, yep. what I what I'm not seeing here is anything about how how often will your car break down, which I think is the most commonly understood. How many times does it strand you? Right? Are you on the side yeah. of the road, or is it doesn't start, or it's you know there's a big pile of oil underneath your car, so you don't want to start it. Right. Um, there's a. I wonder if AAA in the U.S. we have. Uh, AAA, AAA, uh, American Automotive Association, and they have, uh, it's like an insurance you can buy, uh, and it's breakdown insurance. If you get stranded on the side of the road, you just call their number and they'll mm -hmm. come out and top off your gas tank or tow you or do whatever. I wonder if they've got a report out is what models right. do they, you know, most often find, what's FORD, found on the road disabled or found on the road dead, uh, fixed or repaired daily uh, are common uh, interpretations of what FORD stands for. I'm not picking on any particular vendor or, or manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> but they earned that right. reputation at one point in their in their life cycle, in their in their in their in their business, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Well, they have to be on top of it. They, they'd have to have someone on their internal metrics, even if they don't advertise them. I mean, that's, that's how they make money, trying to offer as competitive of rates as possible. And so um, without them essentially losing money on the on the transaction. And so it's up it's in their interest to have as good as an understanding as possible on, on which models break down the most. But that said, you carry those parts and carry those pieces and Right. You and I have stumbled across a lot of organizations where it's in their interest to know what the risks are, but they don't really care. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. But um I mean it's the other challenge for new cars is that we don't have a lot of breakdown data. I mean, they haven't been driven for years. So there has to be some sort of subjective interpretation of, um, of, of, of other vehicle characteristics. Um, well, I think the doesn't JD Power go with the, you know, um, what's its history for similar models, you know, knowing that right. a good number of parts get reused in the future model. So if, if it's a, a, a 2017 versus 2020 is the 17 has a good relationship unless they redid the whole platform. Right. But that certainly goes back to four years. So yeah. they'll look at when they're evaluating 2022 models, they'll include 21, 20 and 19 models. So mm. five year reliability is not a thing. It's, it's, uh, well, you're supposed to buy a new not, car. You know, you just, and you, a lot of people do. And especially people who are, who are in the market with new cars now, are you often going to purchase a new car within five years? Cause that's, uh, we've been you, trained to do up. that or you just it's that's that's your economic class yeah i mean if if you can't afford a new car and you know it's not going to change soon you're going to be a used car buyer for a long time yep and that's okay I mean, oh, just, one of my neighbors was talking about it just the other day he, he said the only new car him and his wife ever bought was a beetle of a, oh. uh, a van um back in the in the early 70s uh, drove it forever. He said he had like 300,000 miles on it. And then they decided they had a couple of kids and they said, well, we need a little more different vehicle. So they and then bought a used car and drove it forever. They were not a good customer for the auto industry. Oh, no, <laughs> but yeah, he was like, why would you ever buy a new car? You know, like, okay. Right. And maybe JD Powell's right on the money because you know what? It's customers who are going to buy new cars are also likely going to be customers who sell that new car and turn it into a used car mm -hmm. within four years. And so the only problems they're interested in, uh, in, in understanding are those problems they're going to experience in those four, first four years. Um, I don't know. It's just hard to... Well, there's another one more thought here, and before we wrap this one up, is that the uh, there's a, a, a group that Kelly Blue Book, and they say, well, what's this car worth? You know, it's, right. it's usually for used cars, and so if you have this old car and it has so many miles on it and feature set and everything else on it, and its overall condition, you can get a rough idea of what the going price is, what you should ask yeah. for, and what you're likely to get. I wonder if that has a relationship with reliability perception or re actual reliability performance of vehicles. I believe it would because the run, running costs uh, where that, those issues associated with things falling off and breaking come, become very important. Um, yeah. That's one more thought. So it, there's got to be somebody in our audience that knows this stuff. You know, It's probably yeah. working in an auto industry and go, which one? Or in a repair shop. That would be the folks to talk to. Um, Hell yeah. Like I said, the, the, 
people here who tell me that uh, they're never going to open a Toyota dealership. There's no money in it. <laughs> that's that's a, as good a reliability metric as you'll ever get. That's right. Yeah. No, I agree. I might. Anyway, I agree. Uh, but we're not getting paid by Toyota to tout their vehicles. No, we're not. So it's, unfortunately, we should ask them for it. <laughs> yeah, Toyota, if you're listening, feel free to pay us. and uh, Send us over a couple of nice vehicles. <laughs> we'll test drive them for you for the next 10 years. I'll buy you a lot of podcasts. There you go. Um, so anyway, uh, how's your track record with vehicles? You've got to, you know, or questions about how to interpret these things, which or have insights, more importantly, if you have insights on how to interpret J.D. Powers and Consumer Reports or others, uh, let us know. Or how do you decide what's a reliable vehicle or printer or whatever? Let us know. We'd certainly appreciate it. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. A couple ways to get in touch with us there. Chris and I and the other hosts of the show are available to be contacted through LinkedIn or on our about pages. We've got a couple of ways there each. So plenty of ways for you to join the conversation. So, all right, cool. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for bringing that one up. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, what other questions or con content or ideas that we got coming in and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Enjoy the time until our next podcast, Fred. All right. You too. Take care, Chris. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.